The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz beyond the basics. Let's get started. The functions that sustain your workforce every single day are the basics. That's what I'm talking about. They keep your company compliant with legislation and labor unions, OMG, and privacy concerns, all hot topics. But let's talk about moving forward into the future. You need to grow your human capital. Your organization needs strategic, visionary leaders. What do they need? They need to be people-focused. They need to have the sensibilities. Oh, what a wonderful old-fashioned word. Sensibilities and skills to manage the tactical and the strategic parts of HR. HR matters. It's part of how the organization moves ahead. I know that's a change for a lot of you, but it's the way it is today and will be. So there's a big question on the table today. How can you and your organization create a culture that encourages and supports these types of changes going forward. And back to my opening, go beyond the basics. We have a panel of experts here on game-changing HR leaders, and they certainly are, and they're going to help us figure this out. So first up, I'm delighted to welcome back a frequent and favorite guest, Tom Kalopoulos, who is chairman of the, I think it's 26-year-old Boston-based think tank called the Delphi Group. He's a columnist for Inc.com. He's an adjunct professor at the Boston University Graduate School of Management, and I will just stop there. Tom has sent me this time a quote from Adam Phillips, and let me just tell you who that was. He's a British psychotherapist and essayist, and he's been the general editor of the new Penguin Modern Classics translations of, wait for it, Sigmund Freud for the past 12 years. Wow. So here's the quote from Adam (laughs) Phillips. The past influences everything and dictates nothing. I think that needs an explanation. Tom, welcome back. How are you? Bonnie, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this quote, Tom. The past influences great, everything and dictates. It's it's amazing. Just You tell me, what does it mean to you and how does it relate to our topic about HR moving forward strategically and humanly? Oh, my goodness. It means so much on a professional level and on a personal level. I think this quote touches us all very deeply because at some stage of our lives we we have these vignettes uh, of the past that that shackle us to behaviors and attitudes and processes if we're an organization that uh, we don't feel we can break free of and and most often bonnie those shackles are artificial they're man-made they are a fear 
of something which we have constructed uh, in, our, in our mind's eye. And organizationally, those fears become amplified when we surround ourselves with others who have the same fear, the same behaviors, who are accustomed mm-hmm. to doing things the same way. We get stuck in those shackles. We, we become mired in, in the past. And, and the past is never a good reason not to step into the future. In fact, when we look at the, the greatest progress of mankind along any dimension, in any industry, in any aspect of society or, or politics or, or economics or organizations, we find that when we b- break free of the past is when we make those greatest leaps. And then we look back and we say, why were we held hostage by that? We should have known better. And that, that fascinates me on so many different levels. I think it's so applicable to the topic today. We are at a pivot point. And we have to seriously consider to what degree we are being held back by the, the wind that's pushing at us from the future uh, or by that vacuum that's sucking us into the past. Very well put. Thank you so much, Tom. And by the way, while you were talking, I took a peek at some quotes by Sigmund Freud since Adam Phillips mm. is translating him. And one stuck out that we might just want to put on the side here. He says, the mind is like an iceberg. It floats with one-seventh of its bulk above water. Let's just <laughs> leave it there. Freud, he, he really knew what he was talking about. Okay. Thank you, Tom. And welcome back again. And let me welcome a newcomer to our show. She's Rachel Disselkamp. If you want to look her up, her last name is D-I-S-S-E-L-K-A-M-P. She is currently the president, congratulations to her, and recently former chief learning officer of AWAM. That's the Association of Workforce Asset Management. And Rachel has sent us a quote from Craig Lampert, who wrote a very important book. It just came out this year called Shadow Work, the Unpaid, Unseen Jobs That Fill Your Day. And I would suggest everybody go take a peek, look it up on Amazon, buy the book, Shadow Work. Let me just digress here for a second, Rachel. Includes the unpaid tasks we do on behalf of businesses and organizations. They slip stealthily into our routines. Even as we pump our own gas, we bag our own groceries, we execute our own stock trades, we build our own unassembled furniture. It's here, we're doing it, and we may not realize it. I'm so delighted that you brought this to our attention. But here's the quote from Craig Lampert, the author of Shadow Work. To redefine something changes how we perceive it. Rachel Disselkamp, welcome. How are you, Rachel? Delighted to be here. Thank you, Bonnie. Well, thank you. This is great. Are you a follower of Craig Lambert? Have you read the book? I I, got to get it. Talk to me. Uh, I'm an avid reader, and Shadow Work is my most recent book I'm working on. Uh, I was drawn to it because it really does touch a lot of the areas of workforce management that I work with on a daily basis, but a completely different perspective. So tell me something. To redefine something changes how we perceive it. Is that how we're, we're asking HR to redefine how it is defining itself, how it sees itself as part of the organization? How is that going to change how HR moves forward? So there's power in the language that we use, and how we define things does shape our understanding of them. And so when I saw the question about tactical versus strategic HR, it reminded me that no one wants to be tactical because we've attached a negative connotation to the word tactical. Uh, It seems low-level, back office, that sort of thing. But if we looked at the actual definition, it actually is pretty positive. Um, It includes other words like prudent, skillful, designed as a means to an end. And when you look up strategy or synonyms for strategy, tactics is listed there as well. 
So the point is, by simply changing the terms we have associated with HR, we've begun the redefinition process, but it's like we stopped halfway when we didn't deliver. And mm-hmm. to simply repackage the role of and value of HR isn't fundamentally changing it. So language is an important part of the equation, but it's not going to be the fastest way to get a seat at the table. It's very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, Rachel. Looking forward to a lot more from you once we go into the roundtable. And welcome again to our show. And let's bring on the the uh, person who not only is our third panelist, it's Sherry Ann Meyer, of course. Sherry Ann is sponsoring this show for HAP, SAP and ASUG. And Sherry Ann is a frequent panelist on many of our shows. And this time she has sent me a quote from Henry Mintzberg. Mintzberg, in case you're wondering who in the heck is that, he was born in 1939. He's still around. He's an internationally renowned academic and author on business and management. He writes prolifically, and he has 150 articles and 15 books to his name. But the book you might want to look up for him is The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. Ah, and in 2004, he published a book called Managers, Not MBAs, which outlines what he believes to be wrong with management education today. They both sound like good reads. Sherry Ann is the expert for human resources, business processes, and technology at ASUG, America's SAP Users Group. And here is finally, Bonnie, get to it already, the quote from Henry (laughs) Mintzberg. And I quote, the real challenge in crafting strategy lies in detecting subtle discontinuities that may undermine a business in the future. And for that, there is no technique, no program, just a sharp mind in touch with the situation. Sherry Ann, long quote, very pithy, lots of meat on the bones, and I love the idea that we're having here a meeting of the sharp minds. Welcome, Sherry Ann. How are you? I'm very good today, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How did you find Henry Mintzberg? This looks like another good one. Oh, just um, in my normal browsing of the web and looking for ideas and thoughts, and I love, <laughs> I love his thoughts, you know. And so, very often we um, think that people that are older <clears throat> tend to think um, in boxed-in ways, and Henry does not. Um, I think he was ahead of his generation, ahead of the curve, and I love what he said because there's a slippery slope in our technical world today that we think technology can do everything. Uh, we live with our iPhones or our smartphones all the time, right? Whether they're Androids mm-hmm. or iOS operating systems, it doesn't matter. We think that that's the be-all and end-all to everything. And there's a trend I'm seeing in the HR space right now that is workforce analytics and the need to be able to have this analytic technology in your organization so you can have that strategic seat at the table. And really, that has nothing to do with it at all. That's a tool that may give you more insight to get that seat at the table, but it's not the tool that's going to solve the um, problems and the issues of the future. That takes a sharp mind um, and engagement with the humans that work in your organization and with the businesses that you're competing against. So, um, you know, this is kind of a my word against technology mm-hmm. um, and saying that it's not just technology. You still need that sharp mind to understand where you should be going next. Thank you, Sherry. And I just want to make a note here for our listeners that this is episode number three in the new seri- our new series, Game Changing HR Leaders. The last episode was titled 
from assets to investments, seeing your people not only as assets or no longer as assets, but investments. Today we're talking about from compliance to strategy, the road forward. Very good, Sherry Ann. And I'm going to circle back to Tom Kalopoulos. And you know, Tom, my goodness, you've told me so many times what you're drinking, but I'm looking for something new and interesting today. So let's ask you what's in your cup today, Tom Kalopoulos. Well, I had an interesting experience this morning. I, I woke up to uh, make my coffee, and I realized I was out of Keurig cups. So I had to uh, <gasps> manufacture oh, no. a, I know, travesty, travesty. <laughs> yes, I had a yes. Manu- I, had, <laughs> I manufactured a Keurig cup out of uh, uh, what I had handy, some uh, some paper towels in the, in the kitchen. I made myself a <laughs> cup of coffee, and it was the worst-tasting <laughs> coffee I think I've had. In the... <laughs> but that's what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> what was it supposed to be? If it hadn't been the worst tasting coffee, what would it have been if it had been good? Uh, it wouldn't have been that great. It was it was your basic <laughs> Folgers that had been sitting around in the cabinet for a long, long time since oh. before Keurigs became popular. So I'm not sure it would have turned out that well, no matter what uh, uh, my, oh. how creative I'd gotten. <laughs> We, we, we are creatures have, of the technology we own. We are. But, exactly. Tom, you know what? The trick I found is save one or two of those old Keurig cups instead of throwing them away. Save the plastic part, clean it out, and you can actually use that. Uh, with There's a little filter basket inside, so you can use that. There's another thing you can buy, and they're very expensive, a make-your-own K-cup where you put your own coffee in, and it has a little plastic lid on it. So I don't know if you've seen those. They're in Bed Bath & Beyond. I keep one on hand just in case somebody gives me some coffee that I love that is not in K-cup form, and I can make my own. The only trick is that if the coffee is not ground for the K-cup process, you will end up with water, hot water if you're lucky, with a little tint to it that will taste like crap. Am I right? That was pretty (laughs) much what I ended up with this morning. (laughs) <laughs> yep, I think I think we've all. You're right. We are we are tethered to our technology. K cups. We you rock when you're doing it right. Rachel Disselkamp, what are you drinking today? I have a mate latte. So mate yerba mate um, is a species of holly that's dried and brewed like tea or coffee. So it's a little different. Not many people have tried it before, but the side of my bag says that it has the strength of coffee the health of tea, and the euphoria of chocolate. Oh, wow. And, I want some. And is, that's Latte. Oh, here we are. There's a website, Latte Mate, L-A-T-T-E-M-A-T-T-E dot C-O dot U-K. Be a coffee-drinking individual. Espresso yourself. Is that what we're talking about here, or is this something yes. else? Yes. That's so it. Uh, naturally caffeinated, uh, almost has as much caffeine as coffee, but it's also a bronchiodilator. And for, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's, uh, it allows more airflow to your lungs. And that might not seem important at sea level, but I'm in Boulder, Colorado, where you climb mountains, yes. Bramble Canyons, and camp at 11,000 feet. So you want the fullest breath you can get every day. You sure do. And they have a Facebook page, Latte-Mate, L-A-T-T-E hyphen M-A-T-T-E coffee shop. And they are based in the UK, in London, actually. And there's a picture of find your favorite breakfast. Looks like they have a lot of cereals on the wall. And they make smoothies and all kinds of milkshakes. And very interesting. So go take a peek at there. We're not doing any selling for them, but maybe we are. I don't know. There's also, by the way, Rachel, I have to warn you, Smashbox has named a lipstick after after this drink. It's the Smashbox yeah. Be Legendary Latte Mate. I'm sure Sherry Ann was dying to know that. Tom, not so much. 
<laughs> I was beating you to the Google punch. Yeah, I was Googling too. I was like, what's well, mate? I must know where this is, how to get it. <laughs> yep, there you go. Well, we can have the lipstick to match the coffee flavor. Thank you, Rachel. That's a new one for us. Appreciate it. Sherry Ann, we're turning to you now. What are you drinking? Anything really interesting? Well, my drink isn't that interesting. I'm drinking a Kona blend, Hawaiian Kona blend coffee. I love this blend. Um, but um, I have a bunch of different coffee cups. And this one says, um, you only live once on it. And this, there's a story to this because when my daughter was in college, she went to New York City for college for the first two years. And one time she was in class and she said, I'm torn. I have an exam in this class, but uh, the stores in downtown are having this great sale. I think it was Macy's having this you know, great boot sale. What should I do? I'm like, I typed back yellow. And she was like, what? And I'm like, you only live once. Go for the shoes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so we then bought the coffee cup to remind us that it's important to live every day to explore. I love that. YOLO, you only live once. That's brilliant. And by the way, this week here on Long Island, Sherry and Macy's is debuting their discount section called Macy's Backstage, going along with their really? Red Star logo. Yes, they are. And they're taking over a defunct Lowman's here about three miles from where I live. And that's going to mean a parking lot that is crazy and dangerous and OMG, do you even dare to drive there, is going to probably triple, at least for the first three weeks, is going to triple in craziness. I think if Unbel- I leave now, I can get there in about three hours. That's fine. I'll meet you there. I have nothing. It's Friday. I'll, I'll meet you there after the show is over. That's fine. Macy's backstage. Look for it. Anyway, thank you. The three of you really appreciate your interesting drinks. Rachel, now you're part of the party. You know what we do here. Our topic today, we're talking about game-changing HR leaders, and our panelists certainly are. A very serious topic is from compliance to strategy, the road forward. How can you move your organization ahead? You need strategic, visionary leaders. Let's focus on that visionary when we come back. They need to be people. People-focused, yes, they do, not just pushing software around. They need to manage tactical and strategic HR, but is your culture encouraging this? Are you pushing them or moving them gently and forcibly but gently in the right direction? Are you going to have the kind of leaders you need to succeed in the future? And HR will have a permanent seat at the big table in the C-suite. That's what we're looking for. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're off to a great start. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app that dial we'll be right back with tom colopolis rachel disselkamp and sherry ann meyer michael out whether the market's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated, ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. 
Game Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to game-changing HR leaders. And welcome back. Our topic today is From Compliance to Strategy, The Road Forward. Our panelists are Tom Kolopoulos from the Delphi Group, etc., etc. Rachel Disselkamp, the president of AWOM, Association of Workforce Asset Management, and Sherry Ann Meyer at America's SAP Users Group, fondly known as ASUG. We're going to kick off our roundtable now with Tom, and we're going to talk about the following. Tom, I'm looking at your notes. Just permit me to read a little bit. Very provocative. You say, with great authority, because you know what you're talking about, we are entering what will be one of the most volatile and rapidly changing eras of humanity, driven by universal connectivity, the power of influence as a new social and organizational capital, and lifetime employability. Reshaping our organizations to recognize and embrace these trends will be key to survival in the 21st century. Tom, this is much bigger than HR, but try to take us back into the realm of HR. Go ahead. Yeah, so you know, I think the core of it really is in, in HR, but, but I want to stop for a second. Could I, could I have you re-record what you said about uh, my being the voice of authority so I can actually play that for my kids? Do you think that would be possible? <laughs> <laughs> we will just take us. We'll take a sound bite out of that. You are a voice of authority. Right. For, Sherry, right. Sherry Ann, he is, isn't he, Sherry Ann? Should we say that? He absolutely is. Okay, there you, you have you have the testimonial, Tom. Take it and run with it. Tell your kids to listen in. Go, go, go ahead, Tom. So look, you know, we, we we always, no matter where we are in the in the in the progress, the continuum of of humanity, we always think we're sort of at that pinnacle, the most volatile, most rapidly changing. This is not a new concept. We we see it consistently, and we will see it consistently. It's just the way we are as human beings. We always look for the the drama and, and the change, however much we may be frightened by it. But here's why it will be the most volatile and rapidly changing era of humanity, because we will be universally connected in our lifetimes. We will see every last human being on the planet connected somehow through a mobile device. And we don't know exactly what that will look like, but it will happen. We know we're on that trajectory. And it won't happen by 2020, perhaps, but it certainly will happen within the next 10 years, maybe by 2025. Um, it's on the horizon. We're, we're right at the cusp of that. And that connectivity will create uh, social uh, uh, dialogue, conversations across geographic boundaries, across cultural boundaries, across organizational boundaries. And it will be disruptive in, in, in a very good way, I think, but it will nonetheless be disruptive. And disruption is, is not always the most pleasant way to, to change, but it is the most effective way to change. Now, here's HR's role in all of that. Now, I'll be a little provocative here. 
I think HR becomes a portfolio manager of communities. That is the role of HR. HR at a tactical level, and I love the way we just said it, because we could talk about strategy all day long, but at a tactical level, what does this mean? At a tactical level, HR has to put in place the blocking and tackling to create these communities, not just inside of the organization where they're sorely needed to cross our organizational silos, but also outside the organization to create communities that allow us to find the best people, to interact with the best people, that create open uh, organizations, transparency. Much of that comes back to HR because HR ends up being the gatekeeper for so many of these behaviors. And it establishes in no small part the culture of the organization. And our culture will be more diverse generationally. I talk about this in the Gen Z book, my latest, my latest book. We'll see mm-hmm. tremendous generational upheaval. HR will have to deal with, with that. We'll see geographic upheaval. HR will have to deal with that. And ultimately, the better HR is at managing these communities, creating platforms for them to collaborate and communicate together while they're employed and while they're not uh, throughout their, their careers, I think is essential in achieving the mission of HR, which is to shore up the culture of the organization. Tom, I have one question before we invite Rachel and Cherry in, in on this very profound comments. You are provocative indeed, and, and you are the voice of authority. Question, is HR ready for this? And a question I frequently ask on these types of shows, do they know this? Do they know that they're the, the keeper of the community inside and outside there? I love what you said, a portfolio manager of community. I have never heard that before. I think it's great. Do they know this, Tom? I think at a base level, anyone in HR understands it because that's why they signed up for HR. This is what they want to be doing. I think, however, going back to the tactics, at a tactical level, it's not often what they end up doing. Uh, their, their day-to-day does not consist with as much opportunity to, uh, to influence and to shape uh, the, the, the culture. There are many touch points where you, where you do that, certainly outside of HR, but I think HR has a unique position to be able to influence culture. So do they know it? I think at a fundamental base level, not only do they know it, but it's why they're in HR. The question now is how do we build those tactics, those programs, those processes to make it part of the day-to-day? Because it's not enough to think it and to want it and to wish it. Uh, you have to choose it, and choosing it means you have to put these programs in place. I love you it. You know, Tom, Rick, this is Sherry. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying. Um, the, the cultural thing, to me, is really big. And as you were talking, I was thinking, well, who's going to create that change? And you just kind of addressed it, that HR needs to step up and they can influence the culture. But it occurs to me that, you know, based on my own experience in HR and in HRIT, that we're calling upon HR to be um, strong leaders and independent in their own right and willing to stand up to other leaders in their organization and present how the community needs to be built, even if it means they're not a guest man to the CEO. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, you know, Rachel touched on this. So much of what what we do is defined, and the way we define ourselves is a result of what we do in the trenches, day in, day out. And I think there is a, if I can borrow this, Rachel, uh, and I don't mean to mischaracterize it, but I think there's a shadow agenda within HR, which we're not executing on, and we're, we're doing it much to the, the, uh, uh, the, the dismay of a lot of folks who signed up to, to be in HR, and that is uh, actually shaping and creating and nurturing the culture within the organization. So I think it, it's programmatic. I think it is tactical. And it's a matter of putting in place programs. In a, in a previous show, Bonnie, we talked about reverse mentoring. You know, there's a program. Do you have it or don't you? If you do, it's tactical. If you don't, it's strategic, and nothing's being done. You know, a compass setting on its own doesn't get you anywhere. It just shows you where you need to go. 
Thank you. Rachel, 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 we're talking about you. We need you part of this conversation. Jump in, please. Yes. So I I agree that we're in the midst of another great redefinition. And how I define that is just redefining work. Uh, From a workforce management perspective, which is a little... similar to HR, but more focused in the technology. Um, It's about how work is scheduled, how work is paid, and how we're going to maintain work in the short and long term. Um, And so the the strategy is we need to find a new way that fits our our shifting paradigm, but the tactics are how we do that. The technology is how we do that. And unfortunately, what I've seen, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, about workforce analytics is the HR seems a little slow to adopt those. And by not adopting metrics and not measuring those things that they have access to, they're hurting themselves and keeping themselves back. And they, they may not want to measure these things because they seem tactical and they haven't been brought up before. Uh, for example, looking at things like approvals on timesheets for leave. I mean, we were talking a lot about paid sick leave, a lot of things in the media about time off. Um, and HR really plays a valuable role in being able to track and measure the effectiveness of our strategies around work. So we need to continue to, uh, to reinvent ourselves, redefine, um, and become better. Thank you, Rachel. Sherry Ann or Tom, any comments on what Rachel just added? Well, a difficult thing with that is, you know, knowing um, – how to define the metrics that are measurements that are important to you. Most HR people I talk to don't know how to define to technology group what it is they need and what it is they need to measure and what's important. And I think, you know, when you're talking people, there's just so much of it. This is definitely an area where HR needs some help um, getting themselves out of the weeds and perhaps a specialist um, because, you know, there is kind of a conflict between measurement and the softer skills that we're talking about. Uh, and maybe we need specialists in those areas that then come together as a team to get the best of all worlds um, for the organization. Um, it's not easy. I mean, this isn't easy knowing how to manage all these metrics and have that softer side that encourages and grows people. Thank you, Sherry Ann. You just brought up something. I'm, I'm looking ahead at Rachel's notes, and, and let's dive into this. Rachel, you say HR is slow to change. Business has always run on numbers, but now, as we all know, there's increased pressure on HR to provide metrics and analytics. But you add metrics are not about reducing people to a number. And you know how many people say, I don't just want to be a number. I want to be a person. Well, true. And you say, we're just using the numbers to assess the workforce. Rachel, you want to expand this for us, please, if you'd like? Yes. So there's a lot of new metrics coming out around HR. And and like Sherry said, there's confusion on what's important. And what's especially difficult is that the metrics can change year to year. Um, And if you are really aggressively going after these metrics, like reducing turnover, and the next year you have reduced turnover, well, you probably shouldn't be continuing to measure that in such an aggressive form. So what we look at in workforce management, we're looking at the use of systems, systems being time and labor management, absence management. And part of this, this whole conversation is about change. And mm-hmm. change really happens when we adopt the processes. It's not about just implementing a system. It's not about just having leaders say, here's a new policy. But we need to be measuring the outcomes and looking at the tactical data from the system to know whether we are really reaching our strategies. The, the real way to get to improvement is starting to look at the specific things 
you want people to do. So, you know, for example, if we're looking at the number of times schedules are changed throughout the week and we're understanding the volatility of schedules for, for workers, we're going to have a better understanding of why our turnover is so high. If every week somebody doesn't know when they're supposed to come into work, that affects our retention and turnover rates. But schedule data is typically seen as too tactical, too operational to really be measured in the HR or, or strategic office. So if, if we take anything away from this conversation, from my perspective, it is that there is value to be found in the tactical data. Thank you. Tom, jump in. What do you think? Agree, yeah. disagree? Well, you know what? We've, we've never been so uh, able, uh, so capable um, to, uh, to understand uh, workforce behavior and to measure it and to take action on it than we are today because we all have enormous digital footprints. Uh, our behaviors mm-hmm. are being tracked relentlessly. And I think part of the issue here is how do we uh, walk that fine line between what's seen as, as invasive and just plain old creepy and, and yet what is, in fact, uh, illuminates the, the changes that we have to make in, in our culture. That's a dialogue. I don't think there's an easy answer to how we do that. Every organization has to, has to come to that conclusion on its own. But I think you have to be transparent and you have to have that dialogue. And, and HR should be initiating that dialogue, should be saying, look, we have the ability to do things that we've never been able to do before in understanding with compassion uh, and with the intent of, of productivity and profitability. Those, those are not mutually exclusive, by the way. I think we've seen recently with a lot of the uproar with Amazon that we tend to be very bipolar about that. We, we put it in one category or the other, but I think you can be a compassionate organization and yet still be very profitable. Uh, you, that engenders loyalty in, 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 uh, in your employees and your colleagues and, and your partners. HR has to step up to the plate and say, look, uh, we need to measure these things and we have to start talking about what we should be measuring and how, because the data is there. We have it. It's not a matter of collecting it. We, we've been doing that. The question is, what do we now, how do we use it, and what, what do we now um, uh, consider to be the, uh, the most appropriate way to, to do this with transparency and with integrity? Thank you, Tom. Question for you before we, I'm going to move ahead to something from, well, Sherry Ann, I want you to j- jump in on this as well, but uh, question, Tom. We talk often about the need for, our last show was about seeing employees as investments, not just assets. Expendable, well, we don't need these three, we don't need these four. How do you invest in them? And part of that is training. Is there training, adequate training going on to train HR to what they need to do? And I'm thinking about people who've been in HR for their entire careers. This is earth-shattering, groundbreaking. This is probably an OMG, you seriously want me to do what? You tell me my job matters in a different way. How? I have to be part of strategy? Are you serious? How does that training and investment in your HR team, how does that take place? Any quick thoughts on that, Tom? And Anybody? Well, a quick, very quick thought, and then let's open it up, because I think training yeah. you touched on a very important issue. Training is ultimately how... You, you shape uh, an organization, its, its attitudes, its, its behaviors. You ask, should HR be be, be trained on mm-hmm. on these new these new issues? And, and I think a lot of it is train, training that does not happen in the traditional sense of you will go to an eight hour or a two and a half hour course and you will be trained on how to be more sensitive to issue X. I think this is soft skills training that only happens if it's done consistently over long periods of time in very small doses. And the science that I'm seeing around training and soft skills is saying specifically that you can only deliver it in, in very short, two- to three-minute increments, but you have to mm. do it consistently and over long periods of time. That's a very different type of, of training, and I would challenge HR to consider how 
they are deploying training for themselves, as, as you said, yes. as well as facilitating it for the organization for the softer skills, because cultural change does not happen if you do not also focus on the soft skills. We know that software does not cause change, right? Behavior causes right. change, and behavior is a soft thing. Sherry Ann, thoughts? Oh, well, my God, I have so many thoughts about everything both um, Rachel and Tom have said. This, I'm making notes feel like crazy for more shows, Bonnie, but um, yep. it occurs to me that we're all talking about HR as a person, one character or one set of characteristics. And having sat in those, that seat, I can tell you that, you know, I think we need to think about and redefine what HR is. And we're all thinking of it as a bunch of things that have to be executed, but really people go into HR because they want to manage and work with and develop people. And HR is one of the few organizations I can think of that has so many diverse sets of skills that we expect them to bring to the table. They go into it for the purpose of managing people and developing people, and they end up, like we're saying, they need to do finance, they need to do metrics, they need to know how to do so many things, Mm -hmm. how they're training themselves. I think HR is really, it takes a village to do everything that we're, we're talking about. And they probably need people that are specialists in different skill sets and who are focused on different things that can bring things to the top. Um, you know, you think you're an engineer, you do one set of skills all the time. You're an accountant, you do one set of skills pretty much all the time. But what we're calling upon HR to do is really, really huge. Um, and that's part of why in ASUD I'm trying to redefine HR and redefine the conversation for them and how they use technology and what really is important for them. Because some of the things we're talking about aren't don't matter to everybody. Everybody's at a different point in their journey. Um, and that's the, the purpose behind the Recharge HR event that Rachel's going to be at with me, uh, to get people talking about what is it, what are my challenges? We're sitting here talking about what we expect them to do for us, and these are certainly challenges for HR, but the how, how do I get there? Um, is, I think, an organizational question that we have to help HR solve. Cherry Ann, before Rachel jumps in, I'm looking at your notes, and I, I think there's a point here I want to make, I think is right on what you're talking about. You say, I believe, this is Sherry Ann I'm quoting, I believe HR needs to be divided into the doers and the thinkers, the task executioners and the strategists. Is this part of what you're saying right now, Sherry Ann? I think that's part of what I'm saying. I think everybody brings a different skill set to the table, and that's okay. And you don't have to be boxed into that that position for life. But, I, you know, I think that there you need to, we need to have some focused attention on people who can bring to the table and highlight the things that Rachel's talking about. What's going on mm-hmm. with your workforce? Because that is really important. I don't believe that we manage schedules well enough, and there's so much technology that could help people do that. We don't have a way to manage workforces but just in time staffing. That the right staffing is always at the place, right place at the right time, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's where technology could help. But that certainly isn't, you know, what every single HR person bought into. Rachel? Yes, I agree with uh, Sherry's comment about it takes a village. And this, this is true, and it's exacerbated, though, by the fact that many small businesses only have one HR person. And that right. HR person may serve so many functions. They may be payroll. They may be benefits. They may be HR. So they're swamped by just the tactical processes that have to go on to drive the HR function, which I think it makes it difficult for many of these kind of siloed HR professionals to say, well, I can hardly stay above water right now. I'm not ready mm-hmm. to do analytics, even though 
we could make the business case and demonstrate the value of using data to improve your processes, your business, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that the real challenge is that many HR professionals are going it alone, and they can only do what, what they can do, um, and we need to start elevating other people in the organization to a level to help them um, and to recognize the value that they bring and help them to communicate that to leadership. Very profound. Tom, jump in. The voice of authority. Yeah, I mean, what do you have to say? The, yeah, please. The, 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 uh, <laughs> to jump off on that exact uh, last point, I, I think leadership needs to enter the conversation here. And, and, and as a leader, I'll tell you that the thing that most often I'll admit one of my own failings, a huge failing of mine, but the thing I've most often been, been told because of this failing is by those who report to me, is please let me do my job. You put me in a position of authority, let me tell you what needs to be done, and then allow me to do it. I think HR needs to have that same dialogue with leadership because the purview of HR, the degree to which they're allowed to play in the strategic space, the degree to which they're allowed to put these new programs into the organization and to facilitate change management, to create these dialogues, is going to be entirely dependent on the charter that they get from leadership. So HR has to involve leadership and, and has to take an active role in saying, look, we, we need to be part of the success story because if we are not, the organization will, will suffer and fill in the blanks. Well, you know, what, what's the downside? What's the liability of not doing this in, in, in our industry? Is it retention? Is it losing people? Is it customer satisfaction? Is it productivity? Measure it somehow. Go back to leadership and say, if you give us the authority to do this and let us do it, then we can have an impact, a very positive impact on the organization. I think sometimes HR is a bit timid to do that. They feel their charter is more of a constitution, and it's not. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's malleable. It, it changes. It has to change. And often it has to change from within, um, H, and especially in that one-person HR organization. Uh, that person has to go back and say, look, I, the blocking and tackling is, is something we have to do. We, we have to achieve that baseline. We have to be operationally excellent. But if we ignore this element of, of, uh, of how we change our business and, and move it forward, we are going to suffer significantly. And here's how we measure that, that suffering. Tom, thank you. And, and how do you train an HR department made up of one person? Rachel mentioned this. You mentioned this in a small company to bring them up to speed. Who trains them? Who says, hey, Bob, you've been doing this for five years. We're still a small company. You can still manage the number of people, but there's so much new technology and so many new strategic visions we need you to have, and we know you're overwhelmed. How do you train Bob? Who Whose decision is it? Does Bob have to do reading and listen to shows like this, Sherry Ann, and go to his, his CEO and say, hey, Mark? I need you to send me for some HR training because I know I can do more for the company. Whose job is that to help Bob? Anybody? You know, maybe it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, a gutsy thing to have to step up to a CEO and say that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we all get concerned about our jobs. So at some point, people back yep. down from the leaders. Um, they don't really have the authority. That's where I think um, putting these positions in place that are CHROs that have a seat, a literal seat at the table with the other CXOs and with the board is really valuable in a company strategy because it, I think it forces the um, other leaders to listen to what needs to be done from a human resources perspective. 
Thank you. Guess what? I want to move into a slightly different area here. We've got all about 10 minutes left to the show, and we are going to save the last at least five minutes for our crystal ball predictions round. I've all given you a heads up here. Sherry Ann, I'm looking at the last note in what you sent me before the show. Very interesting. The E word emerges, empathy. I'm not sure we got to that. We talked about the village. We talked about strategy and vision. We talked about the one-person HR team versus the village approach, the doers and executioners versus the strategic visionaries. Okay, let's talk about how the D school at Stanford applies empathy to a technology design approach called, I'm going to go for instead of design thinking, the concept of human-centered innovation. So Sherry Ann, you brought this up in your notes to me. How does empathy apply in HR today? What are they supposed to do with it while they're busy being strategic and being properly tactical and having the metrics and understanding everybody's journey is in a different place. How do they get to be empathetic on top of all that workload? Well, you know, I've worked with a lot of HR people, myself included from time to time, that empathy drives them maybe too much. Um, They worry too much about what employees are going to think and and say and do and how they're going to react in a labor way to new, new things that they're putting in or changes that are going on or how people are being compensated or the direction of the company. Um, but empathy, I think, is really about, and I, I try to teach this when I talk to people in HRIT as I go to events, that when you're listening and you're listening to, and you're learning something from someone, I'd like you to listen with, by putting on someone else's hat periodically through that. Um, because so often we listen and we think of how it applies to us or how it applies to a problem we have, and gee, if only I you know, had done that, that would have you know, really solved that problem. But if you listen to it with a different hat on it and then try to understand what that might mean to your constituents and the other people that you're working with, your CEOs, your CFOs, as well as the lower-level employees, I think that's really the empathy we're talking about. We're not talking about doing something to please, be pleasing to everyone, but to understand the point of view that everyone's coming to and put some weight behind each of those points of views to determine in the bigger picture of the company's business and the business, the larger business in which they operate and compete in, what matters. Very interesting. Tom, jump in. A lot of thoughts here. What do you think? Empathetic listening is, is absolutely one of the most important, um, I think, waves to, to sweep through through HR. And it's, and it's not that we're not empathetic, right? We're not saying you're not an empathetic person, become empathetic. It's a very, di- very different um, school of thought here. It, it's a very conscious effort to truly understand, as Sherry Ann was saying, what that other person is going through in their professional, personal life, and to integrate that into how you interact with them. Uh, that empathetic listening that was pioneered by the design school, is, as you just mentioned, is, is, is something which you don't need to go to school to understand. We wrote about this in the Gen Z effect. We dedicated almost a whole chapter to it because I think it's, it's so incredibly important. When you talk to people that have gone through that, that have adopted that empathetic listening, empathetic listening uh, approach, what they say to you is, it was the simplest thing I ever did. I simply had to shut up and listen to what that person was saying. And for HR, what that says to me is that HR really ends up being the ears of the organization. They will hear the rumblings. They will, they will hear the, the scattered sentiments uh, that, that otherwise only surround the water cooler and the coffee machine, um, uh, you know, hopefully a working Keurig. Uh, that, that, that is what, what <laughs> HR should be doing. HR is the ears of the, of the organization. And I think when you, when you look at it that way, this listening is very profound. It, it, it sounds very soft and fuzzy. 
but you take what you heard. We've been doing this for years now in HR, trying to survey our people, see what their what their sentiment is. This is a much more active, day to day, tactical, mm-hmm. if you will, to use, to use the word of the program approach yes. to to doing it. And uh, and it's profound. Everyone I've talked to who's done this, we talked to Hyatt at great length about this, feel it is extraordinarily profound to how the organization has changed for the better. Interesting. I, I Googled this, of course, Sherry, and knew I would. And I'm glad you're talking about having a, a day where the Keurig is working properly and you have the K-Cups, Tom. Empathetic <laughs> listening, according to – if you Google empathetic listening, you're going to get pages and pages of interesting stuff. Three ways leaders can listen with more empathy – Empathetic, empathic, they're calling it. Empathic as well as empathy. Empathic listening, listening first aid. Challenge number one, deep listening, empathy in action. Very interesting. Now, here's a definition. Just let me put this on the table, and then we got to get Rachel in here. Empathetic listening is paying attention to another person with empathy. And the, uh, the side note of that is emotional identification, compassion, feeling, and insight. One basic principle is to seek to understand before being understood. Very important. Rachel, talk to us. What's your thought on empathic or empathetic listening? Well, actually, I'd like to kind of take it and uh, take a different word. Uh, mm-hmm. I like integrity. So uh, when we worked on a project, I worked with a gal named Daryl Dennis, and she talked about um, involving integrity in the HR process because I think what the difference is is that empathy can focus a lot on what's fair, but life is not fair, and what we the best we can do is provide equity. Um, the best we can do is, is to address each situation, and I think this addresses empathy as well, but to address each situation and understand what can be done and what should be done um, and, and what the confines are because we do have restrictions on what we can do, and we should at least be consistent in how we how we do things. Um, I know I always go back to the scheduling example, but, you know, you can be an empathetic scheduler for one person having a bad day, but then you forget everybody else who really needs the same sort of consistent treatment. Um, so I like the term integrity over empathy, but that's just personal. Oh, I like that. I like, well, that's what we're all about here is we're about getting some interesting ideas on the table. I think it's time for us, speaking about interesting ideas, to fast forward to our crystal ball predictions round. We have five minutes left, and I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. So, Tom, you've been through this many times before. What do you predict coming down the pike as you look into the crystal ball after a good K-cup of coffee? Uh, what would be different about this conversation Compliance to strat- from compliance to strategy, the road forward for HR? 60 seconds. Tom Kolopoulos from the Delphi Group. Go. I'll bring it back to where we where we started, Bonnie, which is that HR has to see itself in the future as a portfolio manager, a portfolio that consists of, of communities and tools by which they can help to shape the culture of the organization by connecting them to those communities. It, it is tactical. Uh, I think we have to recognize that most folks in HR are already overwhelmed with tactics, and as a result, they have to become part of the organization's leadership team to have a seat at the table, as we've been saying. And leadership has to give them a charter that is a bit more expansive in and includes the managing the change and, and the shaping of the culture of the organization going, going forward. And maybe the last thing to, to say is that people need to understand the tremendously profound impact that, that uh, empathic listening can have. Uh, on on an organization and how HR ends up being the conduit through which so much of the organization is funneled back to leadership and results in long-term change. 
Thank you. Rachel Disselkamp at AWAM. I'm giving you the same 60 seconds. What do you see in the crystal ball going forward, Rachel? I think by 2020, we'll still be redefining the world of work. It'll maybe coming of age at that point. Right now, we see a struggle between those traditional stability workers and this new era of flexibility and contingent workers. And I think this issue is only going to continue to heat up. We've seen Uber come under fire Uh, But there are lots of creative and flexible new organizations out there whose main objective is to redefine what work is. And I think Mm -hmm. that work used to fit into strictly confined and controllable spaces. And we're seeing reactions from the Department of Labor on redefining what a worker is when they get overtime. And things are kind of spinning out of control for them. So the waves of change... Are, are going to continue to come over us. But hopefully by 2020, we'll have a better idea of where the tide is turning and we'll have a recognition that things can change for the better. Thank you very much. And I just looked up redefining what work means. And there's an interesting article by Dave uh, Opinion, actually, in the Opinionator of the Times uh, called Redefining What It Means to Work Hard, a discussion between David Brooks and Gail Collins, something for people to look up. Uh, that was five years ago. My goodness gracious, going back in time. Sherry and Meyer, predictions forward, not backward. What do you see? 60 seconds, go. Oh, forward from now. I think five years from now. And that's really not that long, by the way. I'll be gone in the blink of an eye. I think HR is going to get it. But more importantly, I mean, we keep talking about HR having to get it. I think business leaders are going to get it, get what it is that they need from HR. Um, and I think we're going to see an understanding and a comprehension of what a CHRO is or whatever the top-level HR person is in your organization and the importance of having them and have a staff that is focused on strategy. Um, and I think I've said something like this before, Bonnie. I really think that all the compliance things are more finance, legal-driven. Mm-hmm. And although they relate to people, I think that those can easily be managed in a separate, um, although accompanying organization um, with HR. But there are some HR people that can really focus on the organizational challenges and the development of the people. Sherry Ann Meyer, thank you very much. Sherry Ann, just one sentence. What's coming up next on your wonderful new series, Game Changing HR Leaders? Anything exciting coming up next week? Oh, my God. We have so many hot topics to talk about. I'm not sure what's coming up next week exactly. Um, we spoke to someone yesterday that um, I think is going to be on our next show, Bonnie. Um, had a very interesting conversation with her. She has an organization called My Orangeville, and it's all about – she's talking about how stress affects work. And I know that's, again, getting into one of the softer sides, but um, Why not? the importance of it in recruiting um, and what we're going to have to pay attention to when we recruit individuals is what's on the top of my mind right now. Um, we often, we recruit, first of all, for today, for this moment, because nine times out of 10, people have had a requisition on the table forever before it got approved. Sherry Ann, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. Save it for next week. It sounds like a very exciting topic. I want to make sure we have time to do our thank you. Sherry Ann Meyer, so happy to be working with you on this new series, Game Changing HR Leaders. Very excited about all of your topics. Tom Kalopoulos, what can I say? You're part of the family now. And tell your children, we said on live radio today, you are a voice of authority, whether they want to accept it or not. (laughs) Rachel Disselkamp, you were wonderful. 
wonderful. What a bright young lady. Great thoughts. I love some of the disagreements and what you brought in on the conversations. Really appreciate your participating. And thank you to Michael, our engineer at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll talk to you next week right here on Game Changing Radio, specifically Game Changing HR Leaders. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle RECHARGEHR. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.